0: And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you for joining me today. It's Wednesday, April the 1st. Yeah, April the 1st, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on April 1, 1976, Apple Computer was founded by Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, and Ronald Wayne. That was a pretty successful venture, as all of us know now. Today in 1789, the U.S. House of Representatives held its first full meeting. In New York, Frederick Mullenberg of Pennsylvania was elected the first House Speaker. Frederick Mullenberg is significant in a number of ways. He was a very uh, exceptionally talented uh, politician, but he was also a minister. I've told the story before, probably on this program. I know as a pastor i mentioned him several times over the years in various sermons that I preach, but frederick molenberg really distinguished himself going into the revolutionary war he was his father is generally recognized as the founder of the lutheran church but frederick molenberg was a pastor and uh, the, we, it was in the run up to the to the revolutionary war and uh He stood up on a Sunday morning in his church, and he preached a sermon. And the sermon was, the text of his sermon was from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And uh, he read through that whole litany of things. There is a time to be born, a time to die. We're all familiar with all those. And when he got to verse 8, which is the end of of those eight time uh, references, he read, there is a time of war and a time of peace. And he said this, is a time of war. And he preached a sermon on war in the name of the Lord for the sake of righteousness. At the end of the sermon, the pastor, Mullenberg, he took his clerical robe off and he had on a uniform. He said, I am leaving today to join General Washington and to fight for freedom, freedom of the tyranny of the king of England. And he said, I'm asking every man in this auditorium to stand up and walk out of here with me and fight this war. Well, over 200 men stood up and followed the pastor out the back door of the church. And they went on to fight in the Revolutionary War. That was the kind of commitment that existed in the colonies. And it was generally driven and motivated, not by politicians, but by pastors. Interesting, isn't it? Today, in 1891, the Wrigley Company was founded in Chicago by William Wrigley, Jr. Today, in 1945, American forces launched the amphibious invasion of Okinawa during World War II. U.S. forces succeeded. It captured the Japanese on the island on, uh, and the island on June twenty second. Today, in 1954, the United States Air Force Academy was established by President Dwight D. Eisenhower. And today in 1963, New York City's daily newspapers resumed publishing after a settlement was reached. They had not published for 114 days. They'd been on strike. The people there didn't want to write or print. Wouldn't it be nice if the New York Times, no, they would never do that now. But wouldn't it be nice if they would just go away for 114 days? I think it would. Today in 1970, President Richard M. Nixon signed a measure banning cigarette advertising on radio and television, and it took effect on January 1, 1971. And today in 1987, in his first speech on the AIDS epidemic, President Ronald Reagan told doctors in Philadelphia, he said, we've declared AIDS public health enemy number one almost deja vu all over again as one of my favorite baseball players when i was a kid used to say spokane was shaking yesterday afternoon about five o'clock magnitude 6.5 earthquake hit southern idaho more than two million people live in the region that affected that i mean people were feeling it all over the place boise and down even you know into utah and all over the the earthquake was was centered uh, about 45 miles west of Chalice. It's kind of north of Boise. I think Stanley is up in that area as well. And um, a lot of people felt it. Uh, this Ruth Robbins Dahlen uh, she told the spokesman review she said she was sitting in her Liberty Lake home when her daughter and her husband started to feel the earthquake first. She said they all experienced the 6.8 magnitude earthquake that stuck, struck north of Olympia back in 2001, causing billions in damage and injuring hundreds. She said, I thought maybe we were imagining things. She said, it was my grandson's first earthquake. Yeah, they earthquakes are funny. I mean, you, you just have that moment when you feel you're totally out of control because you are. I mean, you can't control it. Marjorie and I lived in Los Angeles for several number of years and I was a pastor and an associate pastor in the church in North Hollywood. And man, we had earth you know the little ones didn't bother but when they got a little larger no matter how many of those you have you always have that sense of you know hey I'm not in control of this and uh, you you always kind of wonder is this the like the really big one that scientists who are about ready to write a new request for a grant often say is coming, and we must be ready. I don't know exactly what getting ready for an earthquake looks like except rebuilding buildings, spending billions of dollars, but I know you never quite get used to those, and you do wonder. I thought that was interesting, the comment that she made to the newspaper. They harvested it from social media. I'm not sure where they got the comment, but it's kind of interesting because you do have that say is this really happening or is it just me and 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 once you figure out it really is an earthquake i mean you only last a few seconds normally then you're wondering you know how big is this going to be so anyway there was a lot of shaking around that part of the country last night five o'clock at dinner time thank you for your kind words and encouragement not all the words that we receive are kind or encouraging i will tell you But I got this note from Yakima. Gary, here's some help with a check to keep you on the air. Your message is needed now more than ever. Thank you. I'm pretty sure you're listening this morning. You know who you are. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Got an email this morning from a man in Seattle. Dear Gary, I just wanted to let you know how much I've been appreciating your show over the past several months. I'm glad that you're on in Seattle and are broadcasting on our local station. Yesterday's broadcast really spoke not only to me, but to many of of your listeners in a powerful way. You were honest and candid and spoke what you felt God was leading you to say. Please keep it up. You you, you were being used mightily in his name. Thank you again. I felt pretty strongly about yesterday's message. I always do. I take this very seriously, as I'm sure you know, because I, I honestly, I wouldn't do it if I didn't feel that God wanted me to do this. This is not just an activity that's kind of fun for me. I feel very, very strongly about this. Often I feel very inadequate to communicate what I what it is that I believe God has put on my heart, but we give it our best shot every day and we do what we do because we feel called to do it. And I want to thank all of you who stand with us. Those who are new to our contributing allies and partners in this ministry, and to those of you who have been with us almost from day one when we started this program. We started it without any reserves in the bank, and we continue on the same footing. But each month, God helps us. And speaks to hearts. And if you're a new listener, and you would identify maybe with this person from Seattle who wrote me this email this morning, you're in Seattle. We do need your help. We are not meeting budget there. We didn't expect to for a few months, but we need to sooner than later. So if you're listening, and if this means something to you in Seattle or wherever you are, we do need your help. I can't do this alone. I you know, I, I've said that often and very openly. So thank you in advance for standing with us and for all of you who have been with me from the beginning. Thank you. Our address is box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 98009. More than half of the U.S. adults say they're, they've been praying lately. <laughs> I would have hoped for more, but... They say this virus, this pandemic, has turned their hearts and their minds toward church, toward God. Pew Research Center put out a survey last night. They said that it shows that 55% of all Americans have prayed for an end to the spread of coronavirus and are praying more. This includes 82% of evangelicals. I don't know why the other 18% isn't praying. They should be, they're evangelicals, but 82% of evangelicals, 65% of main, mainline churchgoers are praying about this coronavirus. 68% of Catholics say they have prayed for an end to the pandemic. Pew says the coronavirus outbreak is having profound impacts on the personal lives of Americans in a variety of ways. I would agree with that. That may even be an understatement. But this is a time to take a stand. I was deeply appreciative of what I saw. I don't know him, but Idaho Governor Brad Little, he took a stand. Monday of this week, he took a stand, signed into law two anti-transgender bills, making Idaho the first among more than 40 states that have introduced that kind of legislation this year. But Idaho is the first to enact them. And in doing so, Governor Brad Little put a target on himself. And believe me, they're going after him as we speak. The opposition was immediate and forceful. I want to talk to you just for a moment about Little and what they have done, the legislature in Idaho, The Republican governor, he approved the legislation prohibits transgender people from changing the sex listed on their birth certificate. The legislators and the government said, man, we want to have correct data in our database here of our citizens in the state. That makes sense, but it doesn't make sense to the activists. Another bill, they put two of them, signed two of them into law. Another bill bans transgender girls and women from competing in women's sports. There's many, even in government, who see the tragedy of this transgender movement. More than 40 bills were introduced this year targeting that problem, but about half, like one of the Idaho bills, sought to ban transgender girls from competing at various levels of girls' sports. These are boys who have been taught, mostly in public education, but through the media and entertainment that maybe they're a girl. So they make this transition. And I got to tell you, I'm speaking as a pastor. I've seen this stuff. I've counseled. These kids get so confused by the innuendo and the outright activism in public education particularly, but in entertainment as well, that little kids, four and five years old, they start thinking, well, maybe I'm a little boy. Maybe I'm a girl. I mean, my teacher was talking about that or some guest speaker who's usually from an activist group was talking about that in my classroom maybe maybe i'm a girl i maybe i, I mean this is what happens and there are people now beginning to take a stand and say wait a minute that's not right and we're not going to let it happen and they're doing so astutely i feel by attacking the result or the outcome of these kinds of of thinking. So more than forty bills were introduced this year targeting the problem. But none of these bills were ever enacted. I have to wonder were the politicians just trying to sort of appease somebody, or maybe they were Christians and they didn't have enough courage to really take a stand, so they said, Well we'll yes, well we're proposing this bill, but then never follow through on it. That is often the case in our political system, unfortunately. But in some states like Ohio, Alabama, Tennessee, Kansas, Louisiana, South Carolina, Missouri, and Arizona, bills of one or both of these categories remain technically alive, but most are considered unlikely to win final passage because nobody has enough courage, apparently, to stand up and carry the ball over the goal line, as we used to say when we had sports in America. (laughs) They'll come back someday. But Governor Little is taking a stand. He says, I'll carry this through. I'll I'll take this home. So are some parents and daughters in Connecticut. They filed a lawsuit. They said our daughters have won a competing track, but we have these boys who say they're girls that are beating them every time. We can deny the truth as much as we want, but, you know, hey, breakthrough. Boys and girls are different. They're not the same. God didn't design us the same. God made us for special, wonderful purposes, and one isn't superior to the other. We're just—can't we just take a deep breath and say, you know what? Boys and girls are different. That's so obvious in so many ways. Girls are so much better at some things than others, and boys are so much better at some things than others. Biologically, we're different. Certainly. Our biological sex is different. I mean, how smart do you have to be to look at a baby and, oh, that's a boy, that's a girl. But when we become so lost in sin and deception, we get to a point where we can't even tell the difference between a boy and a girl. And that's where the progressive left has taken us. When you take a stand... There's always opposition. I have, believe me, I have found that. This Misty Tolman, she's the Idaho director for Planned Parenthood votes. Uh, it's their activist organization, the, kind of a sub uh, to Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is a nonprofit. Um, this activist group, the Planned Parenthood Votes Northwest and Hawaii, is a more of a political activist. They're not tax deductible. But anyway, she heads that up. And she told the press Tuesday, yesterday, she said, we condemn Governor Little's actions and the actions of dozens of Idaho legislators who are so focused on pleasing their bigoted base instead of doing what is right, adding the law makes Idaho one of the cruelest states in the country. When you take a stand for morality, when you even take a stand for common sense, and you get in the way of these this massive tsunami of idiocy that's created by the idea ideology or the ideas of the progressive left so-called progressive you become cruel <laughs> you become a bigot and if you're a politician you're representing those bigoted citizens who voted for you i mean if we just strip away all the the trappings and all of the the words and the little stuff that's evolved the phrases and all and you look at this you think how How did we get here? Well, it's because people essentially have not taken a stand. Maybe we believed in our heart what was right, but we didn't take a stand. We didn't take a moral stand. Not everybody's called to be a pastor or, you know, a general in the army or whatever, but we're all called to something. In this case, this governor, and like I said, I've never met him, but God bless him. He took a stand. He could have found probably a dozen good reasons why he shouldn't sign that bill and kind of said, oh, I really believe in this, like Joe Biden. Joe Biden says, I'm a very devout Catholic, and I believe in what the Catholic Church teaches. Well, the Catholic Church takes a stand against abortion. Everybody knows that. I'm not a Catholic, but I know that. They take a stand against abortion. Joe Biden says, I stand with my church. But politically, he says, I'm responsible to support all of the people in America. And abortion is the law of the land, and so I support it. So he goes out, and and I'm just using him because he comes to mind. He's cloistered in his home running for president. But but a lot of the left is in this same category. Some don't even have a pretense of believing in the sanctity of life. But but Joe's a good example. And he'll say, and, and his church, it, it, I'm sure it gives some of the, Catholics, at least some of them I know, gives them fits. Because they really do believe in the sanctity of life. And Joe was one of them. And he's claiming his heritage as a Catholic and his connection to the Catholic Church. And on the one hand, he's advancing abortion like crazy, as a politician. On the other hand, he said, no, I don't believe in that. Not personally. That's how confusing this gets, and that's how confused people can get when they do not have that guiding force, that guiding light in their life. That's why Jesus was so clear. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. He is the life that is lighted by truth, and he is the truth. So we get lost in all of this stuff, and oftentimes, I mean, politicians, good people, who probably do love the Lord, they say they do but they just can't take a stand. They like their job. If they're in Congress, it's a pretty good job, in fact. A lot of benefits. So they like their job and they don't really want to ruin that and they justify that to themselves by saying, well, I, you know, I just have to be here because if I'm here over the long haul, I I can be a, you know, represent truth and so on. There's all these little conversations that we have, but I think we're living in a world where that doesn't work very well anymore because we're too informed. People know what's going on. So this governor takes takes a stand. This Peter Wren, he's with Lambda Legal. He says there's an injunction that already absolutely forbids this policy and the government can't enforce this law without violating a court order. Well, the Legislators in Idaho have already addressed that, and they say that court got it wrong, and they're going to take it to the next court. So they're all prepared for all of this. And I I wrote an article on this today at faithandfreedom.us, and there's more detail in the article that I wrote. They believe the legislation that they've passed. They're not unaware that there is there have been rulings against what they're doing already, and but they believe they're going to prevail this time. And the governor obviously agrees with them as well. And they're saying that if they are, have to go to court over this, and they expect they will, and if should they lose, it'll cost the state a million dollars. But they're taking that risk as well. And they know that they may not get reelected if they're dead wrong or if people turn on them. But they're still doing the right thing. And they're taking that stand. And they're taking that step. There's a time in our lives when we've, We've just got to take the right step. I was thinking of a young man, a teenager, no less, that took a stand. If you've gone to Sunday school or church, you certainly know about him. But taking a stand for God in the sense of seizing the opportunities that God puts in front of us. It does prove our love and devotion to him. It doesn't give us salvation, we are saved not by works, but by faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ, salvation comes, eternal salvation comes through accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Asking Christ to come into our hearts, saying, I believe, I believe, I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died, he was resurrected from the dead. That is the path to eternal life. There is no other way that you can come to God except through the person of Jesus Christ. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a person who has been transformed, redeemed, restored, whatever saved, whatever whatever you however you want to identify that, there is a call to be active. It doesn't save us, but it's the authenticity that should flow from our lives when we have been transformed by the power of God, forgiven of our sins, that we have eternal life ahead of us with God. And to prove that we're his disciples, we do certain things. Not, not to gain salvation, but just to serve the Lord and to please the Lord. John 15.8 talks about proving that we're his disciples. Romans 12.2 talks about proving the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Philippians 2.15 talks about proving yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach. James 1:22, to prove yourselves doers of the word, not hearers only. First Peter 3:13 talks about proving yourselves zealous for what is good, taking a stand for God, and all of this is all a part of our Christian life. Our Christian life is not to like accept Christ and then somehow go into hiding. I mean, it's a it's a <laughs> it's a challenging world, I'll tell you, and it is risky to take a stand, especially for moral uh, principles. But the good news is that 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 is still true. You can stand up under it, and God will give you the strength to take a stand when necessary. I'm not talking about going out and doing crazy stuff, looking for somehow to be some way to become controversial. That's not what I'm talking about, and that isn't what the Bible teaches us to do. But Daniel is a profile of that. The book of Daniel begins in about... I think about 605 BC. most scholars say that. And that's when God allows King ne- Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon to come to Israel, besiege the city of Jerusalem. He took a group of Nebuchadnezzar did a choice young people along with him, some of the articles from the Jewish temple, created them up, took them back to Babylon. We know that story and one of those one of those kids that he took with him was Daniel. They had been forcibly removed from his home. He was being schooled in Babylonian ways and custom. His name was even changed to a name that honored a Babylonian god, and he was offered food and wine from the king's table. He said, look, the king said, look, you're a good-looking young guy, smart. We're going to make you one of us. And Daniel purposed in his heart. If you read chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel took a stand, and he took it first by purposing in his heart. That was the first thing he did. He made up his mind ahead of time that whatever is going to come to him, he's not going to cave to the pressure. He's going to take a stand for God, not in rebellion, but in humility and service to God. And a key phrase is in verse 8 of chapter 1. But Daniel made up his mind. King James Version translates the phrase Daniel purposed in his heart. And I think we live in times that are so challenging and are so demanding on our Christian faith. Whether it has to do with human sexuality, the sanctity of life, or any number of other things. I think if we wait for the moment and then we are looking for the courage to take a stand, we may find ourselves weighed in the balance and found wanting. So if we look at the person of this kid, Daniel, and you see from Scripture that the first thing he did was to purpose in his heart. There's a whole lot more that I could say. I don't have time, but he purposed in his heart. And I think this is a time through this coronavirus and all this stuff that's going on in our world to really take a second look at who are we and what do we believe. And once we establish that, let's purpose in our heart. We're going to stand for righteousness and then we'll be prepared when the challenges come. We won't be caught off guard. Thank you so much for being with me today. Maybe you should take a, time, take a few moments today and just read Jan, Daniel chapter 1, especially verses 8 through 13. Again, thanks for being with me. It's always a pleasure, always a privilege. We always try to, to the best of our ability, tell it like it is. We're going to get through all this, the virus and all, all of these things, but I don't think we'll ever go back to being the way it was. Things are changing to that degree. I'll see you tomorrow.